money is so taboo and we're not supposed to talk about it. And, you know, especially if you've got debt and multi six figure debt and, you know, all of that, then, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself. But I have learned over the years because it's been four years now that we've been like working on paying this off. And I've learned that debt is just a number. You're listening to Mom After Hours, a podcast where we talk about the wins and challenges of being a modern mom. For real, we don't sugarcoat and we cover everything that is taboo. And don't you worry, mama, we save a seat for you. Hello, hello. It's Brandy Wytrack, host of Mom After Hours, where modern moms talk taboo topics. And today we're talking about money, 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 money. Yeah, I've always wanted to scream that out. Yeah, I'm that girl. Sorry, y'all. Debt kills the dreams of so many people, and it often wrecks havoc on our relationships, too. There's a recent study that showed 80% of Americans are living under a stanky pile of debt. Are you one of them? Don't worry, girl. I am too. But here's the good news. You can get out from under it and live a fun and full life if you have a financial plan. Don't worry, I got your back, and so does Roe. Today, we're talking with Roe Thomas, an attorney and financial coach, about the birth of her first child and how it sparked her family's journey to get out of $670,000 of debt, and how managing our mindset and money to reach our financial independence is actually a form of self-care. She also helps us with what to say to our partner to get on the same page with money. She definitely helped me and I have already used the tips, girls, and it works. And she also helps us with like what to do to stay motivated and on track with reducing your household debt. We know how we're all eager beavers in the beginning and then sometimes it just feels like it's just never going to happen. We're never going to get to that prime spot of zero. But don't worry, y'all. Let's jump in and talk with Rose. She is going to help us get our finances back in check. So when I first became a mom, I was a junior associate at a large law firm. I think I was I was headed into my third year. And up to that point, I had been like billing all the hours, right? Like our minimum, I think was 1900. I would bill 2100 easily. And at the time it was just my husband and me. And, you know, obviously he can take care of himself. So it was fine. Um, But after having my son and I was nearing the end of my maternity leave, headed back and I was thinking about that life. And it's like, do I want to keep doing this with this baby? Like that doesn't really gel with the way I saw myself parenting, right? And so I've started thinking about like if I wanted to continue on that path, not wanting to completely leave the workforce, but wanting to, you know, kind of pull back a little bit. Yeah, I can imagine, especially being in the legal field where it's extremely demanding and you're putting in all the hours and especially in early motherhood, you're completely exhausted. So for you to be like looking at documents and having to come up with like, like intelligent answers to me, that would be a big struggle or at least oh for me. <laughs> like that part 
is spot on. I remember when I got back to work and I just felt like I had completely lost everything. Like one of the partners asked me a very basic question with one of the matters that I was involved with. And I just stared at her blankly, like, wait, like almost as if she weren't speaking English, right? (laughs) And she was so gracious because she also is a mother. And so she was like, yeah, that mom brain is real, isn't it? (laughs) At least she was gracious. That's good. Because it's always hard when you're just feeling like you're talking in circles or you just give them that blank stare and they're like, girl, you crazy? Hey, hey, earth row, earth row. Exactly. (laughs) So it's good that you are working with a fellow mama. That definitely helps. So what were some of those other big challenges that you were experiencing in your life at that time and in early motherhood? So I think that was the biggest one with my first child. Now with my second child, that was a whole nother can of worms because as many people I think know, going from one to two is not just doubly hard, right? Like it's almost exponentially harder, which is what one of the partners I work with advised me. But I felt at that time, like I was just failing in all areas of life. Like with the first one, I felt like I kind of got back into my groove with work. Um, But with my second, I felt like I was failing as a wife, as a mom, as a lawyer. Like I just wasn't doing what I wanted to do. I wasn't hitting the standards that I had for myself. And so I ended up going to therapy and I was telling her that I wasn't being the wife I wanted to be or the mom I wanted to be or the lawyer I wanted to be. And she asked, well, what about the you you want to be? And I had never had anyone ask me that before. I had never considered myself or my roles apart from like, or I never considered myself apart from those roles that I was playing, like, you know, the wife, the mom, the lawyer. And I realized in working in therapy and, you know, still working in therapy that I had forgotten me. And so I am much more diligent about making that time for myself now. And I find that I am able to be better as a wife and a mom and a lawyer because of the time that I take for myself. That's good. That's good that you learned that to make time for yourself because it's hard for us to cut back. We feel like we're supposed to be doing everything. We feel like we're supposed to be great at everything, but we are not. That's not normal to be good at everything. There's always going to be something that like we're not going to be good at. And we have to accept like, am I okay with being a good wife, not a great wife, but a good wife, a good mom. I don't want to say an okay, co- uh, okay employee because then the company here is going to be like, what? Right. Um, but there's obviously, there's going to be some things that you're going to have to take it down a few notches because when we, when we were single women, or even if we were, you know, married women without children, we had a lot more time and it was fine if you sat at your computer for eight, 10 hours a day and work because you guys were excited. You're trying to make money. And then you're like, yeah, we can go travel. We could go do this stuff. But once you have the kids in the picture, you get the guilt or you just feel like, okay, I can't sit at my computer all this time or I can't sit in the law office all this time. I can't just stay in the kitchen cooking up all these, you know, fancy meals like freaking Mrs. Brady. It's a lot of work to, to get to that point where you realize you've got to take a step back. So I think that's absolutely right. Hats off to you. you. Because some of us don't, I I feel like a lot of us, unless we have that big aha moment, Sometimes we just keep going, keep going until we're completely are burnt out or we're sick and we're like almost at the point of no return. But it's it's good that you were able to kind of find a solution or find something that worked for you before you got to that point of no return or just complete collapse. 
Honestly, I was probably at the point of burnout or on the brink of burnout, but I did correct everything before I like completely collapsed, like you said. I've really learned to give myself grace and just forgive myself for, you know, dropping the ball sometimes. And yeah, yes. it's okay to drop the ball sometimes. Like that human. has been so key because like Brandy, I'm super type A, right? I want to do all the things right. Like I was the like, you know, straight A student, like always wanting to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. And so to be, you know, a mother and not have like a manual, there's no rules for like, oh, yes, yeah, so you do A and B, then, you know, C happens. That was like really disconcerting for me. And like learning to give myself grace to make those mistakes and all of that has been so key in my life. The schedule that I had for work was not conducive to being the mom that I wanted to be. And so one of the things that my husband and I did when I was thinking about wanting to pull back a little bit was we looked at our finances, we saw the $670,000. So like that was the first time that we had seen that amount altogether, right? Like we knew, like I knew that I had like, you know, this much in student loans and he had about that much and we had a mortgage and we had a car loan, but like we hadn't really combined it all. We just kind of had it separated in our mind. And so $670,000 was a gut punch. Like that was completely unexpected. I felt like we had been doing what we were supposed to do with our money. Like, you know, we paid off our credit cards in full and we were saving a little bit. We were like, I think we were maxing out our retirement accounts at that point. So it's like we were doing all the things you're supposed to do. Right. And so it was mostly student loans. About 200,000 was our mortgage. We had like a $10,000 car loan. I had about 100000 in student loans. And then my husband had like three fifty or so um, in student loans. Holy and so, guacamole. yeah, all of that was just like, oh, hello. Like, where did you come from? All of this debt. That's scary to have to pay so much for that education. Oh, student loan debt is just, oh. It's a pain in the ass. I have student loan debt too. And that's probably, that's pretty much my only debt. I have a small car loan, but my debt with the student loans is just, I feel like ah, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> like it's outrageous, honestly. I remember when I was going through my bar prep class and there was an older gentleman lawyer who was teaching the, the section or whatever that we were learning that day. And he was talking about how he paid for a law school out of pocket. It was like $5,000 a year back when he was going. And like now for it to be like, you know, the tens of thousands of dollars that it is and tuition increases like at a rate that's outpacing inflation. And it's just like everyone's just saddled with the debt because more and more companies are looking for, you know, the four year degrees or, you know, even more advanced degrees for you to be qualified for jobs that in the past didn't require those degrees, you know, maybe yeah. not the advanced degree part, but the four-year degree part, like there are jobs that did not require a four-year degree in the past that now do. Yeah, I agree. Well, what's funny is, so I used to work in the medical field. I used to work in academic medicine and like these physicians, they already had their MDs, you know, they already had, you know, all that schooling. And then, you know, these deans and these other leaders are like pushing them to get their freaking MBA or get the PhD so you can do more research on this. It's like, oh my gosh, they already have their MD. And now you're trying to push them to get these other, these other degrees that cost a ridiculous amount of money. And especially, you know, they want to go to a good school. Good schools aren't cheap. 
So yeah, that the debt, college debt, education, it, it's it's so much. We all need to just fucking move to Europe to get our education. Right. <laughs> like, or it's more reasonable where you can finish school without having tons of debt or sometimes oh, you don't even goodness. have any debt. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think a lot of countries are doing it right where education is just included, right? Like it's something that the government covers for the citizens and I won't get into the politics of all of it, because I'm not going to pretend that I just, you know, know all of the things about all of the countries, but just from talking with some of my colleagues, because I do practice uh, some international law. And so I have the opportunity to talk with lawyers in other countries. And like, they, they are just in awe of how the legal education system works in America. And I guess the education system at large, the higher education system. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll have to we'll have to bookmark that for another episode because I feel like I got a lot to say about that. So so you were saying that how um, the birth of your first child kind of began your journey of getting out of this debt. So was it your first child? Was it when your first child was born? Was when you guys finally like kind of put everything together to see like this is how much money we owe or how much debt we have? Or was this a conversation that you guys had kind of talking about? a little bit before you got married. Yeah. So we had talked about money generally, like you said, and we knew that we each had student loans. Like, you know, we kind of knew about how much, but no, we had not added it all up before that point. And it actually wasn't when he was born. He was, let's see, I was headed back to maternity leave or back to work from maternity leave. So he was about three months old. And that point, like, it was maybe two weeks before I was going back and looking at, you know, okay, I've been billing this much. Like, you know, I've been doing this many hours, spending this much time at work and to go from like being home with my son all day, every day to now sending him to strangers for eight to 10 hours a day. Like that feels weird. And so that's why we started looking at our finances to see if we could make some changes and, we could not because we were $670,000 in debt. Um, but something that I think was really interesting was like you asked about if we had talked about, you know, money and that kind of thing before. Like I actually wanted to pay off my loans within like two years of graduating. Like I had told my husband that I wanted to do that. And this was before we were married. And he was just like, oh yeah, okay. Like he wasn't really interested because he was like, everybody has student loans. Like, why would we do that? Um, And then it just kind of like went on the back burner for me. Like I didn't really think too much about it, but it was seeing that number and having a child and wanting to do something different in my life, but feeling like I couldn't because of the financial circumstances we were in. That's what was really the catalyst for change for us. Wow. Just having the debt, it's scary. I I agree that everybody has debt and I feel like it's a very small number of people have zero debt. You might have that debt, but look, you put yourself through law school, you're successful, you own a home, you're a mama of two happy boys, and you know, your husband's got a good job. So I'm trying to look at the positive because when you see that big number, yeah, it's scary. I really appreciate that encouragement. And I will say, like when we first added everything up, I definitely felt shame. Like I felt a lot of shame about it. And I think part of that is just the way that we're socialized. Like money is so taboo and we're not supposed to talk about it. And, you know, especially if you've got debt and multi six figure debt and, you know, all of that, then, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself. But I have learned over the years because it's been 
four years now that we've been like working on paying this off. And I've learned that debt is just a number, right? Like it's neutral. It doesn't really have meaning until we give it meaning because somebody else might have the same amount of debt that we had and not feel anything about it. Like, you know, I think about some of these like multi-billionaires and, you know, the amounts that they'll put up for the different businesses and ventures that they're doing, you know, whatever. And then I also have seen people who have much less debt than we had and feel that same shame. And so it's really a matter of the way that we think about our debt as opposed to the debt itself. Yes, you're right. So how did you how did you start that conversation with your husband? Like, how did you guys get on the same page? Or were you on the same page from the get go? Yeah, so getting him on the same page was really when we started talking about the why behind it, because I mentioned that I had told him before I wanted to pay off my student loans really quickly. But it was really just about the what like, oh, yeah, I just want to do this. Like, we don't have to have the debt hanging over our head. But I didn't talk about why. And honestly, I don't know that I could have articulated why, right? Because it was just, it was something that seemed good. Like I'm seeing people who don't have debt and they have more options, but I didn't know how to explain that or articulate it until we had a child and I felt the constraint of the debt, right? Like before we we were just two adults, like going about our lives and, you know, we were going to work because that's what you do. But Once the child, like once our son entered the picture and I'm thinking about wanting to do something different, but not being able to because we have debt, then I was able to articulate to him, like to explain, like, remember I was talking about wanting to pay off debt. Like, this is why, like, I want to be able to live the way that we want to live and not be held to our jobs because we need the money. Right. I want to be able to go to our kids games or whatever as they get older and not in the back of my mind be thinking I should be working like that doesn't feel good. And once I put the why to it, then he understood more and he got on board because he wanted some of the same things like he wanted that flexibility, the you know more control of his time, all of that. But just saying, oh, I want to be debt free. I want to pay this off. That didn't resonate with him you have to find what clicks with your partner. So do you have any recommendations of how we broach that topic with our spouse or our partner, like especially if they're not on the same page? As far as getting on the same page, don't do what I did, right? Like don't just talk about the the result, the what of being debt-free or whatever. Like, oh, we got to cut back. We got to do this. We got to do that. Kind of dream with your partner. You know, think about what he or she wants to do you know, talk about those dreams that they have, talk about what life could look like if you hit whatever financial goal. And I think getting the person on board with that, like with the why, the the dream, the vision that your lives could be, then it'll be a lot easier to explain why the mechanics of it, the like, you know, paying off the debt, the saving more, whatever, why that's so important to you. I think too, when you are thinking about like things that you have learned or read or, you know, maybe heard on a podcast like this one, you don't want to always beat the person over the head with so-and-so says this, so-and-so says that, because then your partner's not going to want to hear about so-and-so anymore. Um, But you can share, you know, some of the things that you're learning without it always being such and such expert said. So those are the two big things that I have. 
That's a good point. I'm guilty of that with my husband where I'm like, oh, well, they said on this show or in this article by XYZ, they said we should do this. And he'll get so mad. And he's like, well, I don't give a shit what they said. This is how it is in my house. And he, yes, like, exactly. he gets tired. So I I like your your recommendation of painting that vision of how you want your life to look like. So instead of saying, I want to save money, say, I want us to be able to buy a house in another country, or I want us to be able to retire by 60 years older. I want to make sure that we have the lifestyle that we want at 55 years old, where we can say goodbye to our jobs and travel or whatever it is that your goals and aspirations are. I feel like painting that picture is definitely, definitely the way to go. Yeah. And I would say getting their buy-in to like ask what they would like to do if we were in such and such position. Like, what would you like to see happen? What's the ideal for you? Because then they can get behind the, the goals of paying off debt or saving or, you know, investing more or cutting back or whatever it is that you feel that needs to happen to get to that dream. Yeah. That's, that's a good, good advice. So what what exactly helps you and your partner to stay on track with your finances? Like, how have you been able to pay down that amount? Like, I, I think I saw on your Instagram that you shared, like, where you are when you first started and then where you are or where you were as of January 2021. Can you share that number and kind of show us how you have made sacrifices or however you, I mean, clearly you've done a lot of work. How did you get there? Yeah. So the big thing for us, as far as staying on track, we have like a chart that we listed all of our debts from smallest to largest had, you know, a hundred something thousand in student loans, but that was like 14 different loans. Like it was really ridiculous. Actually, the smallest one was maybe $1,500. Right. And so by paying them off in that smallest to largest fashion, you get these quick wins because paying off 1500 is a lot easier than paying off. Like my husband's loan was consolidated. So it was like 350. It got up to 370 before we started paying on it. Um, so paying them off in that order, because you see those quick wins, it motivates you to keep going. And we have a chart where it's an electronic chart, but we will mark it in green once it's paid off. And so like seeing the green start to take over the chart really motivated us to keep going. Um, the other thing is doing it that way, you build momentum. So now we are on my husband's student loan. And if I think if we had started with that one, like, you know, the 370 something, and it felt like we were never going to finish, you know, you don't see that progress, then it would have been easier to give up. But because we had been paying off all of those other ones along the way, then for this one, we just, you know, keep chipping at it until we finish with it. And you asked about where we are. So we are at about 280000 or so now. Wow. And that's with my husband's loan and our mortgage. So Hell I yeah, am. girl. Hell thank yeah. You, that's thank a lot you. of work. It has been you? a lot of work, but it has been so worth it. And, you know, I'm telling you, like doing the the smallest to largest, like, and seeing the green grow over time. It's just like, yes, I want to keep going. I want to, you know, be done with this. And it has helped us so much because like, so I mentioned that part of why we started it was I wanted to be able to change my schedule at work. And we've been, you know, just chipping away at it over the last four years. And then this pandemic hits 
And my husband's a doctor. So he's, you know, going to see patients because he can't bring the patients into our house. And I'm home with our two boys and still trying to, you know, practice full time. And it just was not working out. And so I was able to drop down to 50% because the minimum payments that we have to pay out are so much lower now that we didn't need all of that anymore. Like, you know, four years ago, I could have, I could not have imagined dropping down to 50%. Like, I think we might've had like $150 extra a month, you know, something like that. Um, And so now that we have made more progress, being able to make a decision like that has been so helpful, especially in a time that's, you know, pretty stressful. Yeah, that's a huge win. That's a huge win. So I want to hear your opinion on credit cards and like credit cards as a whole. I hear a lot of advice out there where they say you shouldn't use credit cards um, because you're spending money that you don't have. And then some will say, you know what? I don't think credit cards are that big of a deal because as long as you're paying it off each month or whatnot, then you should be fine. Where, kind of, What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I tend to side with the latter on that. I don't think that credit cards are so bad. I know that some people are just like, no, credit cards are terrible and it makes you spend more money and whatever else. But, you know, we use a credit card that has the points where, you know, when you make payments or excuse me, when you buy things, then you get certain points and ours can be redeemed for either statement credits or like travel stuff. And I know like some people are deep into like travel hacking. I don't know if you've ever come across any of those people online, but like they're like, oh, yeah, you use this credit card for your groceries and this one when you're doing gas and that maximizes the points that you get. And then you can get, you know, a week long trip in, you know, Europe for five dollars, you know, (laughs) so like we're not that, you know, into it. But I don't think that there is anything inherently wrong with credit cards. I will say, though, that I think everybody has to be. Um, honest with themselves about their ability to use credit cards because some people do get into a lot of trouble with credit cards. Like if you're spending beyond your means, if you're spending beyond the amount that you're actually bringing in and digging yourself deeper into the hole, then that might be something to look at. And maybe you want to switch to a different method, but I don't think that credit cards are bad the way that some people do. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Well, my husband's one of those people who I wouldn't say he's like a travel hacker, like 100%, but like we have a Southwest credit card and we pretty much put everything on that credit card, like our property taxes, everything, groceries. And my husband will get so mad if I use my own. I have my, I still kept my, my checking account from when I lived in California. It's like with this local credit union and it drives my husband nuts. But I'm like, I like to have my own little account too with my money. So he's not tracking everything <laughs> that I spend. Cause I'm like, I'm still good with my money, but I'm like, no, he doesn't need to know about this thing about a target or Amazon or a facial that I got. Um, so he gets so frustrated when I use my debit card or if I pay cash for anything. Cause he's always like, we need the points for travel and to pay for flights. And though, and he goes, I need to save the money. He gets, he, he refuses to pay for flights or travel without using points like he gets so yeah. mad when we have to blow money so, so yeah, that's all, a good- i love that i love that he gets angry he's like hello you are making us miss out on points <laughs> yes he does he gets mad and i'm like but i'm i said i'll pay for it i mean because we have our joint account and then i i still have a separate account and then he still has his, a separate account too but for the most part it's like we all have like our money pulled together and in, into one account for like paying bills and stuff like that 
but he get he just gets mad and I'm like, oh, so you want to pay for it? I'm like, that's going to be coming out of our joint account that goes towards bills. I'm like, and I would have gladly paid for this from my from my little stash, but no, he he just gets so. I say anal about, yeah, the points and charging cards and all that stuff. It's pretty, it's hysterical. He's like a, he would grew up as a poor Polish boy. So for him, he's a total penny pincher, wants to get every ding dollar, negotiates with restaurants on his meals. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> gets, awesome. Yeah, it gets, it gets embarrassing though. Like I'm like, okay, babe. Cause he's always like, you know, he, I mean, he knows a lot of people. He's got the gift of gab too, and he, he can connect with people pretty well. So they normally always give him a discount because they're like, Oh, you look like, you look like a popo here. Oh, we'll give you a Chicago police department discount or whatever. And then he'll just take it. I'm like, you're not a fu- whatever. Oh like, you're a liar. Why are you letting them give you that? <laughs> Cause I didn't tell him I didn't say it, but he's like one of those guys where he's always trying to save money. And I'm just like, Oh. I mean, I'm glad that he's that way versus the latter, but still sometimes it's just so frustrating because I'm like, can you just stop and like, can we just like eat our meal and let me pay for it? Blah, blah, blah. No, I love that. I love it. And can I say too, like you mentioned that you both have separate accounts. That is actually something that I recommend for couples, especially because like when my husband and I first got married, we put everything into the joint account. And then, you know, he was buying his stuff. I'm buying my stuff. And some of his stuff, I'm like, why are you spending so much money on this? And some of my stuff, I'm like, he's like, what is this? Why why are you doing that? Specifically for me, I like makeup and beauty products and stuff like that. So I'd be buying like, you know, a $20 lipstick and thinking nothing Mm -hmm. of it. And he's like spending all this money on, you know, Starbucks and stuff. And I don't drink coffee. So I'm like, why are you spending so much? And so it was a big source of tension for us when we first got married, or I guess when we first joined our finances, because we actually combined accounts before we got married, not that that was relevant at all. But um, we found that having that separate pool of money where we just, you know, do a couple hundred dollars each that goes to our separate accounts. And that way, when we have things like the lipstick or the coffee or, you know, the facials or whatever, it doesn't come up, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's not an, an issue because he doesn't see mine. I don't see his. And it's fine. And I think that it's really important for couples to have that separate money, like fun money that you can spend on whatever you want, no questions asked. So I love that you guys do that. Although it sounds like your husband doesn't do that because he wants the points. Yeah. Well, see, but he likes to make me think that because I'm like, I see a lot of new tools that keep coming into this garage. And, but I'm like, okay, well, at least he'll do like side jobs for people. Like he's ultimate handyman. Um, so he's always doing side jobs for friends and families. Um, when he's not working at his nine to five. Um, but I told him like, he saw how much I spent at Sephora and I'm the same kind of person where like, I like to spend a lot of money on makeup and like all the girly kind of stuff and facials. And back in the day I used to do the Botox. I don't do that anymore, but I'm like, I used to, you know, I really cared about all those kind of beauty things. And I know that if he saw it, he would have a freak attack. Like he saw how much I spent at Sephora one day and like, he was mad at me the rest of the day, but I'm like his tools, that's like a 300. Some of them are like a thousand dollars. So I'm like, I don't spend more than a thousand dollars. Well, maybe halfway through the year on makeup and stuff. I would say for the most part, you know, makeup lasts a while, but he buys really big expensive things like occasionally, but then all my little things that I buy each month, I probably add up to one of his big purchases. Right. Or that's how I justify it to him and then to like keep him keep him normal and chill. <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things, right? Like he doesn't value the makeup for him. He's like, "Why wouldn't I spend on this tool? Like this is a great tool." 
But he's like, what is this makeup stuff? That was exactly what was happening with my husband and me. And can I say, first of all, I knew that I liked you. I used to just go to like Ulta and Sephora and just like, oh yeah, I wonder if they got anything going on. Like just go walk around and like come out with bags of stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. For me, it's makeup and books. I spend a ridiculous amount of money on makeup and books, but most of the time I just go on Amazon and I'm buying books. So we get packages all the time and my husband's like, what the hell did you buy? And I'm like, it's a book. And I've got a lot of friends who are writers. So I'm like, I'm supporting my friend and it's a good book and I want to buy it and I'm reading it. And he's like, well, you need to get an audible or you spend way too much money on this and that. And he hates the makeup thing. Like he's always like, you don't need to wear makeup. You don't need to wear so much makeup. And I'm like, cause he sees my bathroom and he's right. If you walk into my bathroom, I'm like a typical woman with my whole counter is covered in motion, potion, lotions, face washes and magical creams and body wash stuff. And he's like, you have so much stuff. You don't need anything for the rest of your life. I'm like, (laughs) no, but this is new. This is going to help me with my wrinkles. I'm like, those girls that you check out that you think I can't notice, um, look at their skin. Do you want me to have nice skin like that? Okay, then shut the fuck up. I'm going to buy my $50 skin cream. (laughs) Yes, Brandy, do it. Uh, but, But yeah, I think over Overall, as long as you are paying your bills, you're setting aside some money into your savings um, because, you know, you always have to have that emergency money if your car breaks down or some other, you know, issue pops up or the pandemic, something happens and your salary's cut. I think it's always important to have that extra stash of money saved away and or, you know, just save it for a rainy day. Yep, I agree with you. So you gave us some pretty cool tips today on finances, how to approach that topic with our partner and things that you've done to kind of reduce your debt. Our listeners, I know, would be extremely interested to know that they can actually hear more about that on your podcast, Wealthy-esque. Can you tell me a little bit more about your podcast and what things you talk about on that? Yeah. So my podcast is all about reframing your mindset and managing your money to achieve financial independence. And financial independence, for those who are not familiar, is the point at which your assets cover your living expenses such that you don't have to work for a paycheck anymore. And so that is part of my husband's and my journey. Once we finish paying off our debt, we want to continue to invest in all of that to build our assets to that point. Not that we want to retire, which is a big part of the financial independence movement, like people are leaving the traditional workforce in their like 30s and 40s. We actually like what we do, but we want to be able to do less of it. And so that is a lot of what I talk about on my show. Um, I speak a lot to lawyers because I'm a lawyer, but I've found that the things that lawyers deal with actually resonate with a lot of other people and other professions as well. And so it's just all about getting the control of your time that you want. Part of that is just changing the way that you think about yourself, the way that you relate to your job, uh, the way that you manage your money. And then the other part is that financial independence piece with like the tips and strategies to build to that point. Not only can you hear her beautiful, smooth voice, you get to learn how to achieve financial independence. So where can our our listeners find that podcast or if they're interested in your financial coaching services, where can they find you? Yeah. So the best place would be my website, which is rowthomas.com and row is R-H-O. There is a link to my podcast there so you can find it in all your favorite podcast players. And if you want to connect with me directly on social media, I'm most active on Instagram and my handle is at I am Thomas. Um, If you're interested in coaching, there's a link to the coaching on my website as well. 
Oh, that is awesome. I really enjoyed our conversation, Ro. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yes, thank you again for having me. It was such a pleasure. Wasn't her stories and tips just amazing? If you learned something today, I want you to share it with your partner. I want you to share it with your social media followers and tag me and let me know what was the biggest takeaway that you learned from Ro today. If you want to connect with Ro, check out her podcast, Wealthy-esque. She is so cool to listen to and learn from. I don't know about you, but I love her freaking voice. It's like smooth jazz, Sunday morning. (laughs) You know what to do. If you loved this episode, subscribe, rate, review, all those things that's going to help your mom after hours, mamas thrive. Until next time, love you, girl.